tonight on News 4 at 5. Nothing beats a long hot shower in the winter, but how long do you take? 10 minutes. 20 minutes. If there's music, maybe 30. Heating water is so expensive, so I'll show you four ways to slash your energy bill. Saving you money this winter. Consumer reporter Susan Hogan is working for you tonight on News 4 at 5 with Wendy Rieger, Jim Hanley, and Chief Meteorologist Doug Kammerer. Getting you up to speed the minute you get home with the day's top stories and changing weather conditions. Working for you on NBC4 at 5. Welcome to the Monkeys Fighting Robots podcast with Matthew Sardo. Take your sticky paws off me, you damn dirty ass. <laughs> Holy sh! They're actually monkeys fighting robots! You can follow us on Twitter at monkeys underscore robots. <laughs> And on Instagram at Monkeys Fighting Robots. Make sure to download and review our podcast from iTunes and Stitcher. And now, here's your host, Matt. Welcome to the 94th episode of Monkeys Fighting Robots. Today's episode is going to be a disaster. EJ and I are talking about the film Deep Water Horizon. I'm your host, Matthew Sardo. I'm also the co-founder of MonkeysFightingRobots.com. Joining me in the banter is my co-host, movie critic, EJ Marino. As usual, it's been a crazy week. I got to see great movies. There's been some tragic deaths in pop culture. You went to the Miami Marlins game after what happened with like Jose Fernandez. How was that, man? Number one, that's just kind of just a bizarre tragedy. Like the circumstances of how it all went down. Because he was supposed to pitch on Sunday, but the Marlins are like, hey, you take the day off pitch on Monday and he's like okay I'm gonna go on a boat Saturday night and so if he was pitching on Sunday he'd still be alive like that's just the most bizarre thing about it right there yeah it's such a one of those crazy freak accident moments that like you like the Anton um Yelchin who died it's just one of those things that like it's crazy how life works and it just it sucked the wind out of everything I had a hockey game on Sunday for me it was like a beer league playoff game but like normally I get all amped up and angry and everything just to kind of get amped up for the game and, and play the game well. And then like I get all the notifications about Jose Fernandez passing away. And I was like, Oh my God, I was so depressed Sunday and I played my game and it was what it was, but it's, it just, you know, you just realize you're human. And at any point in time you're going to me, it's crazy. Cause he's a year younger than me. So it, it just kind of like, it, it hit me hard. I'm not a huge baseball fan. I was aware of the guy. I got to see that one awesome like catch he did after he like, like threw a pitch and hit it and just like I, I know what he does and like what he did for the sport and what he did in like pop culture for being a cool guy. So it, it to me it even hit me and I thought that was crazy. So for you to go to the game that Sunday right after that must have been crazy. Well, they canceled the game on Sunday. Oh yeah, they yeah, canceled yeah, the game Sunday. on Sunday and then the first game to play was Monday, and that was the game I was planning on going to since the beginning of the season because I'm a Mets fan and the Mets are in the playoff hunt. So I had this on my list to go to like right away. But then all the other things that he was, like it took him four tries to defect from Cuba to the United States. And he, as a like a young kid, he went to jail in Cuba because he tried to defect. And then on the last time that he came over, his mom fell overboard and he had to jump in the water and save her and bring him back, bring her in. And, and then they made it over. And then he went to high school in Tampa. Then he became a star, got injured, came back and like, there were so many ups and downs in his career, and he was always coming back from underdog odds. And then 
to die in a freak accident, it's all this like lost potential that just it's just mind blowing. It it's just like right now, just talking about it, like my gut is just just rotting because it's just such a sad story. And it's crazy at twenty four that he lived a like a a full life almost. He went through so much crazy stuff already. He was still young, but did so much already. And it, it's so crazy that it happened so young. You know, it, it, it's a tragic event, but it it really brought a lot of like baseball fans together because, like you said, Mets fans, Marlins fans, everyone kind of came together for that game, and it was it, it seemed like it was a good moment. That was the weirdest game I've ever gone to because I've never gone to anything like this. I mean, I've gone to the Super Bowl. I've gone to MLB All-Star Games. I've gone to huge playoff games with lots of stuff going on and tons of energy. And then this is energy in a completely different direction. I've never seen so many grown men crying before. Like the tribute in the beginning and the music they played. Like the gentleman next to me was just sobbing, just sobbing. Everybody was just sobbing in the stadium. And then... D Gordon hits that home run right right in the beginning of the game and the guy's not a home run hitter and, and the stadium went crazy and then to just see D Gordon just fall into the arms of the fellow players and he just can't you know he couldn't round he couldn't round the bases without balling up and just it's just it's just devastating and then yeah just I just so weird bizarre and then you know there was no music playing there was no like in-game entertainment it was just it was a weird, intense, weird, intense. That's the only two words I've been able to come up with for that experience. And then for me, I drove down there. So three and a half hour, four hour drive down there, three and a half hour, four hour drive back. So I had plenty of time to think about it, which made it even more intense. And the stadium's really nice and they're all you can eat. Tickets are amazing. But that was just, it's a tough one. And I was thinking about this because I went with my friend who's from Miami the Marlins don't have a huge fan base. If this happened in New York, oh my God, like this would be a sold out. Yeah. It's a crazy event now just to think of like how much it's going to impact. I think baseball history now in this moment, but like you said, what if it was a Red Sox or a Yankees player, it would be just crazy pandemonium. I know that he's getting Jose Fernandez, is getting tons of love from his teammates and players in the Miami Marlins fans. But I just think of like, what if this was in New York or Chicago, something big, epic, like big town like that? And not that Miami's not a big town. They just, just not huge baseball fans. Like, what would that game have been like? What would that emotion been like in the stadium? Because I've been in packed stadiums with high energy fans and or Philly, even even to see a stadium not sold out for this game. I mean, I know it was a Monday, but like it was like going to a, a regular raise game. That's how many people were there. They said 29,000 people there. There's maybe 15,000. It was just, it, which made it even quieter. And I, I kind of felt bad. And that's, that's the only, I don't want to be, I don't want to be negative about the event because like the players did what they needed to do. And I don't even know how they, I don't know how you play a game like that. I just, I can't, I can't fathom it. Weird and intense. Those are the only two words that I can, I can sum that up with. I don't really know how you transition out of that. I don't. I don't know. I just, you, yeah. So it's such such a sad topic, but it's it, you know it had to be talked about because it was such a big event this week. No, it, it's definitely part of. It's going to be something part of me as my sports culture and like my experiences. Like I'm so glad I went to the game and so glad I sat next to the gentleman that was sobbing because him and I talked baseball. 
for the whole game. And he's like, hey, you a Mets fan? And we just ended up, we slowly started talking back and forth. There was a definite relationship that was built from that experience that I never would have had any other way. And it was, it was weird and intense. And, and I, how, do I, how do I bitch about Best of the Bay after this? Well, it's kind of – I don't want to say it's kind of easy to bitch about Best in the Bay because I'm trying to be super optimistic about the outcome of the 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 voting that we did for if we're going to be Best Local Podcast. So the Best in the Bay results party was yesterday, and Monkey Sweating Robots Podcast came in second place in Tampa Bay. Woo! So thank you so much to all our supporters, everyone who voted. You guys are amazing. And we are going to continue to grow because we're in the paper today and people know about us more and more. And we're going to continue to grow in the monkeys fighting and robots nation army, whatever we want to call it is going to grow. And I really appreciate our fans, EJ or EJ, my co-host. I appreciate him, but AJ are, are one of our friend, our new fans. And then we have Chad, our super fan. Like that's you guys are the core. And then we're just going to grow from there. And that's pretty amazing. The weird part is, is I was fine just losing Best in the Bay. Like, just losing. Ah, we lost. Okay, we'll have to be better. But coming in second place is really frustrating. <laughs> and, then yeah, to, and then to lose to a radio station, a local radio station. And not, a, not a local radio station. I think it's like an iHeartMedia radio station. I don't even know who owns 1025 The Bone. That's kind of annoying. And then the guy we lost to, Drew Garabo. I have huge political differences with him <laughs> uh because when i was driving back from miami he would his show was on it was like the best of drew garabo and he was talking about stand your ground and how he would shoot people if anybody came near him that he was worried about and i was just like ah oh, really and i turned it off immediately i listened i was like let me listen to this let me see what's going on i'm not a gun carrying guy i don't want to shoot anybody i think we just all need to get along and survive this crazy world that we're on and then to see his aggressive tweet this morning about being just like, I'm not going to apologize for winning best of the Bay because they only have a few episodes and it's not about quantity. It's about quality. And I'm, I know he wasn't talking to us about it, but I still feel like he was talking about us about it. Oh yeah. It felt like he could have used the at feature and said, Hey, monkeys fighting robots. This is how I feel, but whatever, you know, I think we have quality and quantity. I think we're growing. And I think, hey, we have a lot of episodes because we've worked really hard. And whatever, I, I think we're a great first alternate. And I think he can have his win. And to me, in my eyes, since he has such a big following, we we did first place. You know, without <laughs> any extra pull, we're two guys who really wanted to do with this with a big passion and push ourselves I think we did great, and I think we're winners, and that's not my millennial, everyone gets a trophy. No, I just think we're awesome. Oh, man, that was that almost brought up. I, I put that question out there after the debate. I was like, when did we start rewarding ignorance? And then the my question, the comments on Facebook just went into like a downward spiral because somebody said, it's when we started giving trophies for participation, and then like, Matt Douglas, one of the writers from Monkeys Fighting Robots, he jumped in. James Wynn, one of my good friends, jumped in. It was just like, it was just ended up with this craziness. And that's what's going on with Facebook right now. An election, an election year on Facebook is just a disaster. Like, if, you, if your friends are all over the board, which my friends are, and I love you all. I love all my friends. And you all have different opinions. And I respect it. 
sometimes don't understand them all, but you know, I respect them. <laughs> and, and I, I made the mistake of putting that question out there in a mixed bag of friends and it just ended up just going crazy. And I don't even know where I'm going with that after there. <laughs> yeah. We could have made this whole 94th episode about what happened with the debate and what the Facebook stuff's going on, but we have another disastrous thing to talk <laughs> so we about. We do have a disaster to talk about. But first, we got to talk about last week's Super Fan of the Week, AJ. Turns out he's from Illinois, not New York. And he had a question because we talked about the Red Hood last week. He wanted to know where he should start reading to get a more better understanding of the Red Hood in the character. And I told him that he needed to start with Death in the Family and then move to Hush and then end with Batman under the Red Hood. If you are a huge Batman comic book fan, and I forgot any books with the Red Hood in it, and you think AJ should read those books, please comment on this podcast. Oh, I completely agree, because I want to learn more about it, because I started with Batman Under the Red Hood. I'm a DC fan because of the DC animated movies they made, and then I've gone back and got to see Death in the Family, Hush. I've gotten to see like the Killing Joke book. I I, I got to go backwards with it. So I, I, I know where AJ's coming from being new to this world, because I was just new to it. So I like to see that uh, he's wanting to learn, and I think the Red Hood, especially if it's going to play a part in the Batman solo films coming up from the DC extended universe we need to know about him and yeah i really want to know more and more because the character is cool and has the potential to be really awesome and i told aj to read those books before he watches under the red hood the cartoon because i think you'll have a better appreciation for it and i think if watching the cartoon before you read those for me as a comic book fan i feel like you would ruin those stories uh, yeah, I definitely feel like I got to uh, look back on it and be like, oh, man, if I would have just seen the evolution of this, it would have been way, way cooler because I did get to see it kind of from like the third movie. Then I got to see the second movie in the first. So I kind of went backwards with it. So I definitely think, yeah, he should start with Death in the Family, do Hush and then do Under the Red Hood because you're really going to get an awesome, great like transition of that story. Our super fan of this week. He took a week off last week, Chad. But this week, he's back at the top because he is the comment king of the Monkeys Fighting Robots podcast. What's it looking like in Winnipeg this weekend? See, that that's why I think he took a week off because it's been looking pretty good. It's going to be 66 degrees tomorrow. Oh, it's going to be a little sunly. Sunly? Oh, sunly? What I, sorry. I, is that some, some Canadian like sun moose thing? Like The moose <laughs> will be obstructing the sun and it'll be sunly tomorrow. So Friday's going to be 66 degrees. It's going to be mainly sunny. I think that's going to be pretty good. I can understand why he's taking weeks off if he's getting good weather like that. Saturday's going to be 68 degrees. He's going to go up two degrees. Ooh, big deal. We're still in the 90s here. And Sunday, 72 degrees, mainly sunny. I think Winnipeg's, every time I hear the weather, I'm like, damn, this place seems really awesome to go to. I can't wait till we, I can't wait till we get to like January and it's like negative 33. <laughs> I know I'm appreciating it now and then I'm going to see like negative 33 and be like, that's hell. Why would anyone ever want to live there? What are we going to be doing in Winnipeg this weekend? Well, since the weather's pretty awesome, they have this crazy thing. I think it's a TV show that they're taking on tour. Um, it's called Splash and Boots Big Yellow Boat Tour. It's hands down 
just going to be ridiculousness, it sounds. It's, I guess, a TV show that they're doing. Remember what we did with, like, Ninja Turtles and they kind of did the tour around? It's a thing that's broadcasted to 8 million homes in Canada. So they're going to be Are there 8 million people in Canada? What is the population of Canada? (laughs) Every home in this country is watching this right now yeah it's gonna happen on october 1st it's the tickets are like 24 dollars. it's kind of cool for the kids it looks like it'd be kind of interesting i want to see what they can do doing this big spectacle like we saw with like uh what disney does and what the ninja turtles did in the 90s there's 35 million people in canada so 8 million of those 35 million people are going to be watching this show that's kind of ridiculous to think about and it's like i'm assuming a kid show because it seems pretty kid aimed yeah it's, it's going to be interesting especially if you have kids take them to splash and boots big yellow boot tour amazing that's like it's, it sounds like they're more popular than hockey well probably yeah. like half the people watch hockey in canada so that'd be you know it's 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 still it's still probably not more popular than hockey but eight million if eight million people like watched it's more popular than The Flash or Arrow. Like, <laughs> I know. I think it's crazy. I think the only thing honestly popular than hockey in Canada is maple syrup. So they, they do pretty good with themselves. If you want to be a super fan and you want us to tell you what the weather is like in your town and then dig deep for the events calendar for your weekend, all you have to do is leave a comment or question on the podcast. Chad likes to go into SoundCloud and he just tags each section that he wants to comment on and leave 16 comments. It's like we're having a walking conversation. He's like he's the third host of the show. If you listen to the show and then you read the comments as the show's going on, Chad's our unofficial third host. And then AJ sends in his questions and we love to answer him because he likes to talk about comic books. And I love talking about comic books. We don't talk about comic books enough, my friend. Yeah, you need to start educating me on comic books. Maybe one of our super fans will be a big comic book fan like AJ and start the conversation more. But big thanks to all the people that voted for Best of the Bay for Monkey Spider Robots. Second place, Samantha Silver Medal. It's okay. It's not bad. And all our super fans. I look great in silver. Like silver is my color. I'm fine with that. But next year will be gold. Oh, we will be gold. Disaster movies. What makes a disaster movie? Some lists consider monsters disaster movies. Some lists have natural disasters. Some lists have zombies and horror. All the different genres in this list of disaster movies. If you go to IMDb, it's a thunder and it's like, it's just amalgamation of everything. But for us, a disaster movie is something that has a very centric disaster. That makes sense? Yeah, it has it has to be a part of it, I think. Like I, I that's why I feel like post apocalyptic kind of struggles with being a disaster movie because I wanna see the disaster, you know, deep impact, Armageddon Things like this, we see what happens in, like what you said, like this new movie this week, Deepwater Horizon. We saw that entire event unfold, you know, just minute by minute almost. And it felt intense. It felt great. And that's what I liked about it because I think this is really the best disaster movie since the 70s. When I was surprised by went. your title. Really? Why Why were you? Well, that you said it was the best disaster movie since 
the towering inferno. And it's not that I was surprised that you you liked the movie. I'm surprised that the movie was good. I was trust me too, my friend, because we both talked about it. We were both kind of like not too looking forward to it, and I thought it was going to be a Titanic Armageddon where I think they're decent for okay, what they are. Okay, can you but not put Armageddon next to Titanic? Because Armageddon is I, one of the best movies ever made. I will debate you on that very heavily. I don't, and I think what Armageddon and things like Titanic have is what Deepwater Horizon doesn't. It doesn't have that time for that watered-down melodrama. The CG isn't that bad. It th- This movie is really a great evolution of what the late 90s did for disaster movies and even what the mid-70s did with, like, Poseidon Adventure and uh, Godzilla or, like, because Godzilla had a great movie in the 70s, but same thing with Tyrone. King Inferno. Kong. King Kong was in the 70s. Yeah, sorry, King Kong, uh, the King Kong's movie in the seventies. Yeah, I definitely think like this is the best one I've seen in a long, long time because I'm gonna ignore 2012 and all no! that stuff. 2012, uh, that movie has a special place in my heart. Like your your favorite movie of all time is like Showgirls, and I love not of all time. No, uh, mine's Jaws, but Showgirls is definitely up there. Okay, so you have like your guilty pleasures like in the Showgirls yes. category. My guilty pleasure is Roland Emmerich films and how he loves to destroy the world over and over again. I will say Roland Emmerich has a very great vision of disaster and I think he does it he does it well and he was to me the master of that genre. But if Peter Berg can do another disaster movie on the scale he did with Deepwater Horizon, Roland's going to have some competition because I think Berg gets it. I really think he understands what needs to be done within a disaster movie. And that's what I was going to say is when I saw Deepwater Horizon and the things came up, I was like, it was on my radar, but it wasn't on my radar. Like all like all you kept seeing was Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Like that's that's all the marketing is. And I think. Peter Berg deserved to be some of that marketing because I love Peter Berg. I think he makes quality films. He has a real heart when it comes to telling a story, whether it's from Friday Night Lights that he started off with The Kingdom, Hancock, 30 for 30. His documentaries are amazing and his respect for sports, and we're heading back to that, from Ballers, and then Leftovers, The Lone Survivor, like Battleship. This is the most underrated film that there is out there right now in in the in this decade, I will put it. <laughs> but Peter Berg is working on some amazing levels when it comes to directing. I think he needs to start getting up there with the marketing. I don't know. How, I don't know where it is with the respect. How does that work in the film industry? Like, I don't want to say he's like should get more respect because I know he's really respected in the industry. I think he just needs more of a mainstream name, basically. Yes. Yeah, I, I and I think what he doesn't get it is because he makes these big, crazy, over the top movies like what he did with Battleship, but he focused Battleship as campy and over the top as it may be and how ridiculous as it gets there's a focused center in that film which it doesn't need to be hancock it's another superhero movie especially when it was coming out they were kind of coming out another like weekly superhero movie he did something different with that i think he knows what he's doing and it should be focused 
on more, but I think maybe he's too good for the mainstream audience. Where you're a good guy like Roland Emmerich and Michael Bay, who kind of makes the same niche kind of films, but doesn't get as, you know, Pete Berg doesn't get the recognition that those guys do. And The Kingdom, The Kingdom with Jamie Foxx and Jennifer Gardner and Chris Cooper, that was one of the early Blu-rays that I got. And I just remember the cinematography in that film is brilliant. Just from the colors and the clarity and and being Blu-ray, I just remember that was like one of the first movies I saw where I was like, oh my God, this this is a beautiful film. And part of it was because of Blu-ray, but part of it is because of Peter Berg and the way he directed the film. I would definitely go through his catalog of films and just whatever you haven't seen, check them out. I, I know I brought one to EJ's attention in Very Bad Things, and that movie is just ridiculous. And it's one of his earlier movies. I think it's his first film direction is Very Bad Things. And this is just a dark, dark, bizarrely dark comedy that everybody should watch and just be like, hey, Matt, you are so effed up for telling me to watch this movie. And I well, I can't wait to see it. Anything that you describe as messed up that I should watch, you know, I'm there, especially like with that shocking list that I just made. Oh, man. But no, I think every every well, what, what about my shocking? No, list? I was I was it's it's shocking. And I just I was I was going to say, oh, man, I can't believe how popular that article was. And we'll put a link to that. What was the name of that? What was the name of your list? Uh, Bizarre and controversial. The 10 most shocking movies of all time. Yeah, if you want to be scared from filmmaking or as from filmmakers and I don't know how you I, I'm so afraid of those movies that you put on that list. But the, I will put a link to the list below the podcast so you can check it out. It also have a link to EJ's review for Deepwater Horizon. Uh, you like the film, which is good. But you made a bold statement where you said it was the best disaster film since towering inferno and and we spent the first part of this podcast of this discussion talking about what is a disaster film so we made our classification of what a disaster film is so let's refocus the conversation and you're saying this is better than armageddon which i think is one of the most amazing films ever because it has a soundtrack and we don't get good films with soundtracks anymore yeah i think what i like so much about Deepwater Horizon is everything you said that he brings. He brings a little bit of a dark humor. He brings some great cinematographers on board with him. He just – he really understands what he's doing and I think this is a perfect evolution. Yes, maybe I am ignoring what Armageddon did for at its time but this is to me just such – a great example. I think he focused the story. There was no melodrama subplot. There was no love interest. There was no nothing. It was just almost action nonstop the entire time. Yes, Mark Wahlberg had a wife character that was worried about him at home, but it wasn't like there was this forced love drama that I feel like things like Titanic, Armageddon, there's a, even Deep Impact, I think, had some minor love uh, can interest. We, can kind we of never stuff. bring up Deep Impact ever again? <laughs> But the no, yeah, and movie. even got like Twister, a disaster movie I love. That's where I was going. Some... I was going to bring that up because you, because you, I was going to bring up Twister because I think Armageddon's good, but Twister, Twister brought disasters to a whole new level. I will say I, and I kind of forgot Twister when I was making this list because we talked about it. The, the disaster movie genre is so big, so there's so many things to like miss. And I definitely think Twister is a really good movie because Twister reminds me of what this did. It's a campy, over-the-top subject that like really shouldn't be done as well as it is. And I think Deepwater Horizon really took that whole based on a true story 
and did what they want with it. It's I definitely kind of talk about it in my review. It's what I wanted from Sully. They took a real life story and made it a movie and made it a film and made it entertainment. And I think that's what really drew me into it is it's entertainment and as well as paying respect to something that really happened. What I'm feeling from you is that it is the dark night of the disaster genre. Hmm. Yeah, I guess that that's definitely a good way to put it because it's the, it's the it's not the most artful, but it is the most I think focused and well-rounded of them. Like the Dark Knight was the most focused and well-rounded at that time for that genre. I was going through all the different lists of disaster movies, and Contagion. The Steven Soderbergh film. That is the last film where I was like, because disaster movies for me are usually a lot of fun, over the top. Some people do, some people die, but you know the main the main character usually survives with his love interest, and they're all happy, lucky, and you know the the sun glimmers at the end and stuff like that. But Contagion, at the end of that film, I was like, I am not touching anybody. Everybody's infected. I'm not getting on a plane. Like that movie put me in a whole new paranoid level of disease where I was like, oh my God. And that's been the, that was a, that's what the film in put into me. It's more of a thriller type film. And I know you hate that word, but like it's. Oh, cause I was going to say it reminded me of a horror film because of that feeling. I remember someone coughed during my screening of Contagion, yeah. and I was just like, I'm leaving. Ah! I'm walking out of here. <laughs> and I think that's that's where I, I always debate with thriller and horror because things like that terrify me. And I think Contagion really is a good disaster movie disguised as a horror film and what, or thriller or whatever it is. But, yeah, that's why like things like that kind of do slip through the cracks. I think we need to come I'm, up with a new – Sorry for cutting you off. I think we need to come up with a new genre, and it's called Paranoid. Like, films that make <laughs> you paranoid, because that's what Contagion did. And there's been a few other movies. Like, uh, The Witch made me paranoid afterwards. Like, things that make me, like, I have to stop after watching a movie, and I look around, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm paranoid now after this film. So, like, we have to need, we need a new genre, it's called Paranoid. Uh, yeah, man, because there's been movies like that for me. There's a movie called We Need to Talk About Kevin that's about a kid who, from the second he's born, hates his mother, like, screams, cries, goes out of his way to make her life a living hell. And I'm like, that's going to be – that's, that's going to happen to me when I have kids. So, yeah, I think we really do need to, like, do this whole paranoid genre as something. Oh, man. But this I'm, – I'm really impressed that the film impressed you, and it's also getting – Good. I'm looking at all the other reviews on Monkeys Fighting Robots, and I see that Caitlin kind of doesn't like it. I sort of understand why Caitlin doesn't like it because Caitlin's kind of a Caitlin's a girl. It, it, you know, she's female, and I, I feel like disaster movies probably don't parlay to the female demographic as well as they should. I mean, this could be. But I'm a dude. They, I'm a dude, so I really have no clue. They what I'm had talking a very about. strong female character. In it. Gina Rodriguez was part of a. She was kind of. Not on the rig that exploded, but she was like on a boat kind of watching it. And she had a really good part of this of like, look, you're telling me to not press this button to alert people because that's the chain of command. She had some really big balls to her. And I really liked that. I really liked what Gina Rodriguez brought to it. 
But she did, unfortunately, get overshadowed with actors like John Malkovich, Kurt Russell, Mark Wahlberg. Even Dylan O'Brien had a really good, memorable role who he's like a little guy from Teen Wolf that most people don't know. But I think this movie really did help push him as well, more than Maze Runner will. Oh, come on. The first Maze Runner is amazing. Well, silence. Crickets. I need to get a cricket sound effect. Cricket, cricket, cricket. (laughs) Yeah, you know, that's... You know, we all have different taste levels there. How do you think this movie's going to do at the box office? Uh, and that's something I wrote in my reviews because of the entertainment value about it. I really think it should do pretty well because it is not only the whole based on a true story that, like, the Americana people love. It reminds me of a lot of the big short where they really do a good job of making you angry about something that happened years ago all over again. I really want to see it do well at the box office because I think this is a pretty kind of weak week. But Mrs. Perrigan's School of Peculiar Children is probably going to trump it because of how obscure and how marketable that is compared to a movie about the BP oil spill. Right. That's the thing is I was like, ah, oh, the BP oil spill. And like, we live in Florida and I don't really want to go through that again. And, and it's for me, the other aspect is like corporations. You talked about it, the chain of command, don't warn people, blah, blah. Like I'm going to hear about people fucking up and like making the BP oil spill bigger than it should have been. If somebody just took responsibility earlier on and it would have gotten fixed and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I, do I want to get angry again? And see, and I'm glad it made me angry because that's what I felt was missing with Soli when they try to um, villainize the um, NSTB or whatever, the National Transportation Safety Board. They tried to villainize them, and I thought it felt kind of hollow and fake. Where this one, the supervisor who is uh, John Malkovich who runs kind of – he's running this BP thing. You want to punch him in the face the second he gets there. In any other movie, if this wasn't based on real life, his character would have died a crazy death because that's how movies work. And his villainous character deserved it. So that's what I was really impressed that that it pissed me off and didn't just be like, oh, look, disaster movie about a real thing, meh, where I was I was passionately like angry about this all over again. Like I said, like I did with the big short with the financial crisis. I really appreciated that about um, Deepwater Horizon. So you have no problem being mad at BP, but you do have an issue being mad at the flight advisory board. Yeah, it's just because (laughs) I think – that they were doing their job. And I think that was my biggest problem with Sully. It was that I thought they were just trying to do their job where this guy from BP literally just was being a dick. And if they portrayed it accurately, he wasn't that nice. <laughs> oh, man. I, that, I'm i I'm very excited. I, I was supposed to go to the Tuesday press screening, and I didn't because I went to Miami the day before. And my wife was like, no, no, you only get, you only get 12 hours in a, 12 hours away from the home and, and you, you blew that all on Monday uh, early. <laughs> I know. We should have saw this movie last week when it screened as well. We were both like, eh, next week. And then we were, and then next week happened. Yeah, we, put, we totally put this off. And this is what's amazing about cinema is that we get to get surprised by films. And, and that's amazing because with all the reboots and all the remakes and all the sequels and all the cookie cutter Hollywood aspects that come out, then you have a movie like this where you're like, hey, I was, it's surprisingly good. Yeah, and I really wanted, like, to, not to redeem myself as a critic, but I think people started to think they know what I like as a movie, like, critic. Just and as say a movie Dewey. Fan. Just say Dewey. 
Well, not even Dewey, but I do think in general, I think people even on the website kind of think, oh, EJ's the horror movie guy. Oh, he's the shock art guy. No, I like a good disaster movie. No, I like a good action movie. I just want you to expand and go out of the genre that you were in. And I think a movie like this did it. So I'm glad I got to uh, kind of show that I do have a more more of a bigger film taste than most people think. And that's where I go back to Peter Berg, because is it more of a Peter Berg thing or is it more of a genre thing? Well, that's the tricky part because it is a genre thing, but it is a Peter Berg thing. It's exactly what I said. You just need to do whatever genre you are in good. I don't care if you're comedy, action, drama, horror. If you are a good director and make that film good, I don't. it doesn't matter what genre it is. You make a good movie. And I think that's what Berg did with the genres. He made a great, solid film. And looking back on his career, like he has a style – and you can see it in Deepwater Horizon. You can see it in Friday Night Lights. You, he has a, a grittiness, and I think that's who he is. He's got a, a solid grittiness to him that he translates to the screen, and he knows how to film it properly. And I'm just glad that he's making films. Yeah, I'm glad he's making films I like because I didn't expect to like Lone Survivor as much as I did. And that's that was another one. And now I'm actually very excited for Patriot's Day, which is going to be the movie he's doing about the Boston bombing. I'm excited to go in to see it now because I've now built a relationship that I'm like, well, Peter Berg and Mark Wahlberg, you've done two good movies. Let's see if you can make it three. Yeah, it'll be interesting because, again, that's another movie where I'm like not too excited to see. You know, like I, 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 the Boston bombing for me, I have another like personal tie to it because it was when I was, you know, working on the radio and we were doing a golf outing and I was driving back and I have all the alerts on my phone and I'm like, hey, there was an explosion in Boston. And so I called into the radio station. I was like, hey, you guys covering this? And they're like, no, like it didn't even like hit them yet, the news station. And so then I was calling in and we were explaining what's going on and then. That whole night, I was, you know, hacking away at the computer, and it was one of the, not one of the first times I was a news reporter, but like it was, it was one of the first times where I've had to follow a story from start to finish and cover the whole entire thing. So I was so involved with that story and posting videos and cell phone footage of the shootout and all that stuff. So it's like the personal disasters, and the same thing with the Deepwater Horizon. Like the personal disasters, they're not intriguing to me because. They're, they're emotional and I've already gone once through the emotion and like I know that there was a real person attached to this and we maybe we can take it back straight to Jose Fernandez like you know it's we're all humans and our numbers up at any point in time and it just you know you you want to make sure that in a film like Deepwater Horizon or Patriot's Day they're honoring the people that have passed away and that's that's those are the things I worry about because Hollywood usually doesn't do that. And see, and I think they don't usually do that, but I don't mind that they don't usually do that because it's still supposed to be entertaining. I know these that's the problem with doing things that are so fresh in our memory is because you really can't kind of make it a movie and kind of have some freedom with it artistically because it's these people are still – most of them are still alive. Only 11 people died I think from Deepwater Horizon. So people who were in that event are going to watch this movie and it's going to be a part – of what they're still going through. So it's very interesting where I thought I, I saw some review on a different website called this movie almost an exploitation of the event. And I'm like, 
okay. They're trying to make a film, and I think if you find that perfect balance of respecting what happened but still making a solid entertainment film because that's what the industry we're in. We're in a money-making entertainment industry. I think you have to do that, and I think that's what makes a great movie like Deepwater Horizon is when you can do you know, the homaging, the the money, and making a good film. You bring up entertaining, and I think it could that could be the word because – for some films, like I'm looking at the, I'm thinking of the word thought provoking. Like this film could have been thought provoking as opposed to entertaining. I don't know. Do you consider thought provoking entertaining or is, or you entertain like, I'm trying to think that's the word I think that could be an issue when you're talking about respecting people who've lost their lives in films or tragedies or other things where it's like, oh, I want the film to be entertaining. I think it's the word that's insulting. Yeah, and I think thought-provoking and entertainment can go hand-in-hand sometimes. I think, like, to go back to it, The Big Short was a very fun movie, and it had good things, but it also really drove home how bad the financial crisis was. And I don't think Deepwater Horizon really does get to be that thought-provoking. There is a lot of things that we get to see that BP had, like, a a hand in just not respecting what the oil rig people were saying that, look, this is what we need to do to how to run it. They're like, hey, we need to make money. We're over schedule. So I think there was a little bit of that in there. But at the same time, I thought it was just fun. And I'm glad I got to have fun and not sit through what I thought was like something like Sully, which was almost a documentary. You know, there was there was some fun bits to it, but it wasn't entertainment. And it was thought provoking, but thought provoking sometimes I think leads to boring if it's not handled right. See, and this is where you and I all disagree all day long because I enjoyed Sully. And it brought emotions to me and it it gave me a complete film that I enjoyed and was entertained in. Apparently, my definition of entertainment or what I was looking for is different than your definition of entertainment. And that's fine. That's why we're, we're humans. We're not supposed to be exactly the same. And I'm just trying to figure out what, what, what the right or wrong thing is. And there really is no right or wrong because it's an interpretation of somebody's artwork mm-hmm. and but, i think but, that's that's my passion about this and why i like being a critic that sometimes is kind of far off and even i think sometimes kind of normal when people think about it in certain ways but i i think it's fun that this medium is so subjective and we all get to express it and kind of interpret it how we do and it's it's really fun to me and that's why i think what's so fun about the podcast is talking about movies like Deepwater horizon and and it, right. it just blows my mind of how open this whole thing is. Right. No, I understand that part. Like with the artwork and the how we look at things differently. But then when you start, for me, I take it to that next level when it's like Sony, Paramount, Warner Brothers. These are big corporations and they suck ass. And, and those are the ones that are influencing the art. Like what would Deepwater Horizon be like? If Peter Berg was just given money, you know, without any expectations, like what would that artistic vision have looked like at that point in time? Because we're always getting a skewed vision from Hollywood because you have a million people involved in the process. Well, that's why I've never looked 
to Hollywood as the source of artistic inspiration. I think they've been ha- been behind the times for years. So when movies like I think Deepwater Horizon come out, or I know this is controversial, where I think Batman v Superman changed up their genre, I like seeing things like this because I really think you are taking something like what these big Sony, Warner Brothers, and all these Lionsgate and all these big companies are doing, and you're kind of sneaking something different in between all the mainstream stuff. And I appreciate that because Hollywood isn't really the most artistic industry anymore. It's a money-making industry. Right, and that, that's where I got back to the, you know, is it art? How much of it is art? How much is it is a, a business decision? Or a, you know, like you have the villain in... Deepwater Horizon, you know, that person could be the villain in Hollywood that's, you know, preventing things from happening here and there. I mean, there's a lot of parallels, a lot of different things you can correlate to it. I'm not looking for Hollywood for inspiration. Eh, I guess I am. Uh, and sometimes because I just want my heroes done properly. That's not a dig at Batman versus Superman. I promise you it is, but it isn't. But it is. Well, no, you just want heroes in general in all films to be done properly. Yes. <laughs> You have like what your idea of heroes are, and I think that's what's so cool is that like I come from like an indie art film background where heroes are like the bad guys in movies most of the time. You don't want to root for the person who's the good guy because they're not fun. Oh man, I just, I'm 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 done with you, man. I'm done. <laughs> We're breaking up, man. No, we have to make it to a hundred episodes. Please don't be done yet. Oh man, I next week I'm pretty excited because I have I just got a link to the. Uh, the new Japanese Godzilla film. And I started to watch like the first like five minutes of it. And I'm like, Oh my God. This I is need awesome. To see, I need to see that instantly. That's something I've been waiting for. And I'm also waiting for um, a girl on a train next week. I'm really excited for that film as well. So if I can do Shin Godzilla and that movie, that's kind of hitting all spectrums of film. Oh, and, like. and we have Luke Cage this weekend. Luke Cage this weekend, that's going to be a big event, and I think the the nerds are going to go crazy with it because, as everyone knows, I'm not a big Marvel fan, but the Netflix Marvel has always been cool, and it's Luke Cage. Come our, on. Like, one of our writers, Matt Douglas, we've already brought him up once before. He's a Mets fan, so him and I, we have we have internal internal friendship going on there, like a deep friendship. He's, he lives in Philly right now, but uh, he covers wrestling. He's got a good angle on wrestling. But he was just loud about it. He's like, Marvel Universe, about to get really black this weekend. And he was super excited. And it'll be interesting to see how the world takes Luke Cage because I love Luke Cage. I, I don't know if I... I'm not going to say I love Luke Cage because I don't like love Luke Cage. I I like the Marvel Netflix universe. And I like the fact that there's rumors about Luke Cage being like The Wire and kind of a gritty police drama kind of character driven which all the marvel netflix stuff is but i want like i think it's gonna have an amazing soundtrack i think it's just gonna have it's gonna have a whole different vibe than what we're used to and and that's gonna be a good surprise no you said it you didn't you don't love luke cage but i really think after this weekend people will love him because i think this would be awesome and i think Right now, especially with everything that's going on in the world with the shootings and stuff and police stuff, I think it's interesting. And they said on the thing, right now we need a bulletproof black man. And I think that's so oh, awesome. Oh, that man. Yeah, that's it, such a great tagline. That it, It's awesome to see. And I think that's what's really going to put a lot of heart behind this. And that's why I'm into it because I really want to see a guy – 
that's going to be a target that, you know, that is that stereotypical that, oh, he's the bad guy and he's going to be awesome and be a hero and it's going to subvert expectations. I, I'm just looking forward to Luke Cage because we need it right now in society. And I think I'm just going to end right there. That's, that's, that's the best ending I could ever have. <laughs> I know that's the most positive I've ever been. I know. I, on a positive note, EJ is going out in style this Friday. Uh, you guys... Have a great weekend. If you guys go see Deepwater Horizon, AJ, Chad, if you go see Deepwater Horizon, let us know what you think of the film. Let us know your thoughts on Luke Cage. That's the big thing is we need to get thoughts on Luke Cage so that we can talk about it later on next week because everybody's going to have seen it by then. And I want to know like the good stuff, the bad stuff, the great stuff that is in it. I need Easter eggs. The Easter eggs are all... I watch Marvel movies just for Easter eggs. It's for me. It's like, okay, what tidbits are going on in there? Where's all the cool stuff? And and if you recommend any books, Luke Cage books that we should read before the show, after show, during the show, just shoot us a comment. EJ, I think that's the end of the show. You have a good weekend. Thank you, my friend. I can't wait for this weekend of Luke Cage. Hey, Matt, we survived another episode. Oh, no! Once again, there are several ways to continue the conversation after the show. Follow us on Twitter at monkeys underscore robots. You can look at all our silly photos on Instagram at monkeys fighting robots. You can follow me on Twitter at Matthew Sardo. My co-host EJ also is on Twitter at EJ Christ with a K. The biggest compliment we receive is when the subscriber number goes up on SoundCloud. If you have a chance, we would greatly appreciate a review of our show on iTunes. All you Android users out there, listen to the show on Google Play. Google Play this shit. Additionally, there's a great app called TuneIn. Listen to every radio station in the world, plus the Monkey's Fighting Robots podcast. Okay, Lunchbox, let's try this again. There are so many people that made the 94th episode of Monkey's Fighting Robots a success. Special shout-out to my co-host, DJ Marino, for putting up with me. It's difficult. I make it rough. No, I don't make it rough, because he's going to make some weird comment about being rough and liking it. And No, I take that all back. EJ, I put up with EJ. Jeff Shea is the creator of our amazing intros and outros. Jessica Wynn designed the Monkey's Fighting Robots logo. Are you a monkey or are you a robot? The staff of Visual Realm built our website and keeps us up and running. To all my friends, family, and the interweb, thank you very much for your support. I'm Matt Sardo, and this is Monkey's Fighting Robots. Tonight on News 4 at 5. Nothing beats a long, hot shower in the winter, but how long do you take? 10 minutes. 20 minutes. If there's music, maybe 30. Heating water is so expensive, so I'll show you four ways to slash your energy bill. Saving you money this winter. Consumer reporter Susan Hogan is working for you. Tonight on News 4 at 5 with Wendy Rieger, Jim Hanley, and Chief Meteorologist Doug Kammerer. Getting you up to speed the minute you get home with the day's top stories and changing weather conditions. Working for you on NBC 4 at 5.